Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Out front next, fed up. Families of hostages asking about their loved ones missing now for 45 days and no real answers from the Israeli government. The father of two young girls who are being held right now by Hamas will tell his story and an Israeli government official responds here tonight. And is Trump's gag order about to be reinstated? His former White House attorney Ty Cobb says yes and predicts Trump will end up in jail over it. Plus, the biggest name in artificial intelligence, fired by the board of his company and then dramatically hired by a rival. Now Sam Altman's employees are threatening mutiny. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, demanding answers. The families of hostages are demanding answers from the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his war cabinet. We are told more than 100 family members, each family was allowed one representative, today met with the Prime Minister today for hours. And they went in saying this. I demand their commitment that everyone is returning home. All the hostages. We must get answers. We have very concrete questions that we expect them to answer. Well, the prime minister came out of the meeting, said that returning hostages was a sacred and supreme mission. But the hostage families came out without those answers. At least that's what Yoni Asher tells us. He was there today. His wife and two young daughters are among the hostages. His entire family, his entire life, hostage now for 45 days. I'm going to speak to him in just a few minutes about that meeting because it comes as President Biden tonight says he does believe a deal to release some hostages is near. A deal that CNN reports could include a four to five day pause in fighting for the release of dozens of hostages. But even if there is a deal, Israel faces mounting questions about its focus on the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza and strikes there. A hospital that Israel says doubles as a command center for Hamas. I mean, Hamas, of course, denies these allegations. So to back up the claims, Israel's been releasing videos and inviting CNN to tour what it claims is an underground tunnel shaft used by Hamas in the Al-Shifa hospital compound. Israel is also releasing CCTV video. You're looking at it here. They say this shows Hamas fighters bringing Nepalese and Thai hostages into the hospital on the same day of the Hamas terror attacks to bolster their claims that the hospital was used uh, for hostages themselves. Israel has not, though, yet shown evidence of the extensive, multi-level, well-lit, and extremely comfortable network it says that Hamas uses under the hospital. Even as a former Israeli prime minister today tells CNN that the bunkers Hamas is now accused of using underneath the hospital were initially built by Israel itself. It was decades, many decades ago, probably five, four decades ago, that we helped them to build these uh, bunkers in order to enable uh, more, more uh, 
more space for the operation of the hospital within the very limited uh, size of this compound. And of course, the compound's a 12-acre compound. We're going to have much more on this coming up with the senior counselor to the current Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. But first, our coverage begins with Nick Robertson. He's out front tonight in his throat. And Nick, what is the latest that you're hearing about a deal to release some of these hostages? All right, it sounds like Nick is not able to hear me. We'll give him a second. Are we able to cue him or no? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, and you got me back just, just in time there. As you know, yourself, communications here go down a lot. So listen, this is what we're hearing from the families tonight. Disappointment, perhaps not surprise. They said they went in there wanting to hear something new. They didn't hear something new. Uh, what they really wanted to hear most of all was that the prime minister and his war cabinet would put the hostages above a priority, above all else. And they didn't do that. And as we know, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu who said the hostages are on the same priority as, as defeating Hamas. And the way things play out on the battlefield here sometimes, it can look like actually getting after Hamas really takes precedent over the hostages. But for the families, um, this was not something that, that for them has shifted the ball forward in any way. So perhaps, perhaps it makes that disappointment stronger. Hostage families that we've been talking to over recent weeks say that they are concerned that um, this drip, drip, drip offer of hostages, perhaps women, perhaps children, mean that the men could get left behind. But they point out one really, really important thing here in the negotiation. And that is Hamas, they say, look, this is not a state actor. This is not an NGO. This is not something that you can deal with, a group that will deal with you rationally. So they recognize even as the government tries through 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 intermediaries to, to get some workable solution with Hamas, that they're really dealing with an organization that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care and only has its own interests in sight, which is its own survival. And its survival comes about, they believe, through, through being able to hold on to hostages. And I think the other takeaway here, um, you know, the, 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 the parameters of this that are being laid out that we're hearing from uh, officials in the United States, and, and the Qataris as well are quite hopeful, but these parameters are speaking about the four to five day pause in fighting, ceasefire, the uh, release of about 50 hostages. Well, this is the complete opposite of what the Israeli government is setting out to achieve here. They've said a complete ceasefire for all the hostages. The one thing that they really don't want is to allow Hamas to put the fighting on pause for a while so that Hamas can regroup in the field and then just drip, drip, drip out more hostages as, the, as things roll forward. That's how Hamas wants to play this. And this is why the Israeli government has been resisting this tactic all along. All right. Thank you very much, Nick Robertson in Storo tonight. The families of the hostages meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and his war cabinet today. Yoni Asher was in that meeting. Yoni's wife and two little girls, who will turn three and five in January, are hostages in Gaza. I visited Yoni at his home in Israel, and he showed us some of his daughter's favorite toys and their little pink shoes. It has been 45 days since Yoni has seen Raz and Aviv and his wife, Jerome. And Yoni is back with me now. Um, Yoni, uh, as you wait and wait, I know you met with the war cabinet. You met with Prime Minister Netanyahu today. What did they tell you about your wife and daughters? Hello, Erin. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I, it was a meeting with uh, one more, uh, almost 100 people. 
because uh, it was one representative of each family. So it wasn't my personal meeting. And uh, um, I think that uh, what said there was basically that the military position is better than it used to be before three weeks ago. And the situation as far as intelligence is better. But unfortunately, I get out from this conversation and I can tell you that I have any concrete news or information regarding to my personal family. And I can only, like I told you many times before, I only can hope and pray even after this meeting. And uh, it's very hard. This is a not easy situation. The families combined in the same room, very difficult. Yoni, we have heard before that a deal to release the hostages is close, and I know this time we've been hearing it's it's very close. There's been a lot of reporting about a possible deal. Did they say that they think it's for real this time? Well, the the subject of whether we have a deal on the table or not is not even spoken. Wow. So nothing about... A, a deal or a deal that can be uh, exist. Yoni, I'm going to be speaking to Mark Regev, the senior counsel to the Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu, uh, in just a moment. Is there anything else you would want him to know? Without return of the hostages, there is no winning in this war. Without the returning of the hostages, there can be, there can't be a future that is based on the trust between public, the people, and the government. And I, and I'm sure that they know it. Hmm. They know that without the return of the hostages, there is no future for this country. Yoni, in terms of the hostages release, Abby Moses, uh, his pregnant wife and son were burned to death by a terrorist. Uh, he's speaking out, and he says he supports freeing that terrorist from Israeli prison, freeing the person who did that to his family in a swap for the hostages. And he said, Yoni, if the despicable murderer who killed my wife, Ofra, and my son needs to be released, I say do it and bring the hostages home today. Now is the time to return them. Obviously, uh, you're a father to those two precious girls. How do you respond to that father? This is devastating thoughts, devastating decisions that people need to say and think. This father um, is a great man. That's all I can say. The pain is so big, but he is realizing what kind of situation are we? And... I, like I said, I think that if there was a deal, if there was a real deal on the table that I know of, I can only hope and pray that that what is reporting on the media is correct. Yoni, thank you very much. Thank you, Erin. And out front now, Mark Regev, the senior advisor to the Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. And Mark, I appreciate your time. 
You just heard Yoni Asher. Of course, it's been over six weeks since he saw his wife and his two little girls. And he says his message to you is that there is no winning this war without the return of the hostages. He says there's no future for Israel without the return of the hostages. And he says that the people of Israel will not trust the Israeli government if the hostages aren't returned. What do you say to him? First of all, we have to, we have to hug him. We have to support him. One can only imagine the pain he's going through, having his uh, wife and, 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 and children kidnapped. I can't think of anything worse that could happen to someone, especially knowing who has done the kidnapping, this brutal terrorist organization that committed the, the most gruesome violence against Israeli citizens on October 7th. So one has to feel for this man, one has to, one has to support him, one has to do whatever one can to help him. Mark, in terms of the hostages themselves, though, President Biden says he does believe a deal is close to release some of them, uh, children among them, uh, perhaps uh, Raz and Aviv. Uh, CNN's reported negotiators have been working on a possible deal that would involve a four to five day pause in fighting in exchange for the release of those hostages. Uh, look, I understand you can't share details. Yoni was saying he understands you can't share details. But can you say if you are close to a real deal now? So I don't know the answer to that question because it's not done until it's done. And being close doesn't help you. You need to get the hostages out. And uh, uh, I can only say the following, Aaron. We will agree and we will only agree to a temporary ceasefire in Gaza for the release of our hostages. And we've been hitting Hamas hard. But if Hamas, as I said, is hurting and hurting badly, I think that increases our chances of getting people out. Mark, I want to ask you something, um, and I want to, it involves showing viewers something that I've described uh, on, on this show, but we have not aired it uh, on CNN until now, and I'm airing it for your response. It's an animated video, Mark, that was released by the IDF of what Israel says shows Hamas's operations in Gaza underneath the Al-Shifa hospital. In it, you see lit tunnels, armed fighters, uh, a meeting room possibly for Hamas. There's a rug in there, chairs, a flag. Uh, this animation was released three weeks ago. Uh, so far, Mark, it does not match the actual videos that Israel has released, which look like this one. It's a video of what Israel's put out. It says that you say this is an underground Hamas tunnel shaft at the hospital deep below ground. The video goes on to show the inside of the tunnel until it reaches a closed door. Um, Look, it's a tunnel, uh, for sure, that we can see. We see someone walking down it. Uh, but it does not match your animation at this point. Are there videos coming that will support the allegations that Israel has made in this animation? In a word, Aaron, yes. I'm, we will be providing uh, more and more information. I hope we can actually have a CNN crew go down into the tunnel network. But we've got to be cautious. We're concerned about booby traps. We're concerned for the life of our, our soldiers. Uh, and we have to do this slowly. We have to do this judiciously. We have no doubt whatsoever about the subterranean network of tunnels under Gaza City, under the hospital. It's a matter of time. We'll be releasing every day more information when we have it. We've been doing so. We will continue to do so. So I would just say, Aaron, patience. In the end, Hamas's subterranean uh, uh, um, uh, uh, terror network 
its network of tunnels and underground fortifications and, and rocket launching sites and arms depots, all that mm. uh, will be made public and, and will be destroyed. But before we destroy it, of course, we want people to see what was there. Well, the former Prime Minister Barack today told CNN something very interesting in this context. He actually said, Mark, that uh, that he knows there are bunkers under the Al-Shifa hospital because Israel built them. He says that Israel built what's under there. And initially he said it was for hospital use to support uh, the Al-Shifa hospital at the time. He said it was built decades ago. But back to that animation that shows Hamas fighters inside what looked like conference rooms, video screens. Do you know that the network is being used as you portray it and is the reason that you're so confident about how it looks because you built it? So first of all, we didn't build the hospital. The hospital was built uh, by the British when they were ruling this part of the world in the 1940s. Afterwards, in the early 1980s, uh, when Israel was ruling the Gaza Strip, uh, we actually uh, made renovations and we did actually build uh, basements which were for the medical purposes, for the hospital, for storage facilities and other things for their medical equipment. What happened under Hamas is that they turned some of those basement areas into underground uh, for them uh, as part of their war machine for their command and control. And then they built, it wasn't there before, they dug out these tunnels these special fortifications under the ground are what we showed already. Mm. And CNN has seen this, uh, the tunnel that goes down, what is it, 10 yards? And then it uh, reaches this underground complex, which is still locked, but we'll be able to show, door, yeah. I believe, in the coming days. So, so, so what, what Hamas did is they used the existing basements, apparently, for their command and control. And through the tunnel network, they could send uh, orders and instructions and uh, uh, fighters to their network of underground tunnels. So there's no contradiction. We knew all this. All right. Well, Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate your taking the time joining us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Aaron. And next, Donald Trump may be silenced as an appeals court appears ready to restore a gag order. We have rare audio of that court hearing for you next. And breaking news, Colorado voters are about to file an appeal. That will happen any moment now after a judge ruled Trump can stay on the ballot. The attorney who's about to file the appeal will speak first out front. Plus, Microsoft puts an AI mastermind on its payroll just hours after he's fired. And Microsoft shares soar to an all-time high. The CEO announces it before the market even opens. Picture perfect, huh? So just who is Sam Altman? Special report is next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, rare audio of a court hearing between the former president, Donald Trump's lawyers, and DOJ prosecutors. So there were three judges listening to both sides argue over a gag order for Trump in the DOJ's 2020 election interference case. The judges indicating they are likely to restore that gag order despite the Trump team's objections today. Criminal speech, obviously, is subject to the, the restrictions. Then that's, but core okay, political so. speech, that is core political speech, that's part of campaign speech. That I don't know that, that, that I, don't, I think that kind of calling, labeling it core political speech begs the question of whether it is in fact political speech or whether it is political speech aimed at derailing or corrupting the criminal justice process. You can't simply label it that. Out front now, Ty Cobb, the former Trump White House lawyer. So, Ty, you watched this hearing, and as I said, it's really rare to even have the opportunity to hear this, right? I mean, we, 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 it's quotes that come out afterwards or reports from people in the room. We, you actually could hear it. So what do you think? Do you think the appeals court is going to restore this gag order? What did you hear from the tone and the questioning? So there's no question that the court will um, ultimately approve a gag order. Uh, whether the court will rewrite the existing gag order or send it down to Judge Chutkin uh, with instructions as to how to write it mm. uh, remains unclear. They, they could do either. Um, but there will definitely be a gag order in this case. I think a um, couple of things fit together here. Um, you know, Judge um, uh, uh, Millett, um, who is extremely sharp, uh, and a uh, uh, very skillful judge, um, you know, made it plain that they needed to work with a very fine scalpel, I think was her, were her words. Hmm. And what that, said, what that suggests is that they will tweak the existing gag order, yeah. uh, and I think most of the tweaking will be around the word targeting or target as it's used in the existing um, gag order. <coughs> refining that in a way that makes plain, you know, uh, that yes, Jack Smith can be criticized. He can be criticized, you know, by name, uh, but that he can't be the subject of uh, incitement or invited violence. Um, and um, as, as was pointed out in the briefs, uh, the day after Trump said, you know, if you come after me, I'm coming after you. Uh, death threats were sent to her chambers. Right. Um, uh, the, you know, his words, his words have real consequences. We have, you know, dead people uh, on uh, January 6th uh, that uh, uh, compellingly uh, uh, demonstrate that. Uh, right. And, and, also, and also show that there can be an incitement to violence without a direct incitement to violence, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's the codes that matter so much. And, and I guess that's the subjectivity of it. I mean, 
So the hearing was tense at moments, Ty. Judges, they did try to drill down on what Trump's team believes he is allowed to say, right? Your whole point about how do you apply a scalpel here. Um, They specifically brought up, well, how do you handle witnesses who could be called to testify and what Trump may say about those witnesses or say that could influence those witnesses. Here's one of the scenarios that they posed. What if he instead gets on a stage somewhere or on social media and says that exact same thing. Ms. X, a public figure, is being bothered by the prosecutor. But people who are loyal, honest patriots don't talk to the government. He, he, he hasn't said that. And it is a please mischaracterization answer, Please answer the question. I'm not suggesting he has said that. This is a, to be clear for the record, this is a hypothetical question. I mean, she made it clear these are posed as hypotheticals. But, Ty, when you've looked through things Trump has said, real things he said, there is a, a chance, you've said, a very real one, that Trump could face jail time for violating a gag order, right? That, yes, Absolutely. I, I don't. I don't think the, his first or second violation of the gag order uh, will find him sent to jail. But I think ultimately, um, you know, his uh, his narcissism will get the best of him, and he will uh, violate it until uh, he finds out what the limits of uh, Judge Shutkin's patience are. Is right, and I guess those limits, those limits, as you're saying, end up with what could possibly be a night or a two or something like that. I mean, it's hard to even imagine it, but actually in jail. Yep. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, the judges were frustrated with both sides a little bit today because of, uh, you know, the vagaries of, you know, their interpretation of the order and the arguments that they were making. But in the, in the end, I think this task boils down to using that, you know, uh, uh, scalpel skillfully, uh, to demonstrate what target or targeting actually means and what, you know, what areas of speech are actually um, circumscribed by uh, the need to uh, avoid undermining the integrity of the judicial process. Uh, I think that task uh, yeah. is well within the capability of these judges and Judge Shutkin. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ty. I appreciate it as always. Thank, thank you. Nice right. to be with you, Aaron. Take you, care. Thank you. You too, Ty. And next, we do have some more breaking legal news. Colorado voters about to file an appeal saying that Donald Trump does not belong on the ballot, despite a judge's incredibly narrow ruling. Talk about a scalpel. The attorney for those voters is my guest. This will be uh, the first time he's speaking out here, and they're about to file that now. And Maria Shriver, who worked alongside the former first lady, Rosalind Carter, is out front. Breaking news, a group of Colorado voters about to file an appeal any moment seeking to kick Trump off the 2024 ballot. They have until midnight. The appeal comes after a Colorado judge ruled Trump could stay on the ballot despite the voters' argument that the 14th Amendment disqualifies Trump for inciting an insurrection. Now, the judge ruled on very narrow grounds, saying that Trump had to stay on the ballot, but also saying that Trump did engage in an insurrection on January 6th. Sean Grimsley is out front now. He is the attorney for the Colorado voters who brought the lawsuit seeking to remove Trump from the ballot. 
Uh, this is his first interview since the judge's ruling. And Sean, I've got a lot to ask you about, uh, but let me just start with you and where you are a few hours here before this filing deadline. You are about to file the appeal. What's your main argument? Well, the main argument is that the judge got one issue wrong. She ruled basically for us on everything, except for a very technical legal argument that the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment does not apply to the president. Uh, we think that was incorrect, uh, but that's the only issue we'll be filing on. Right. In fact, she said um, that the Section 3 specifies that this, the disqualifying oath is one to support the Constitution, whereas the presidential oath is to protect I'm sorry, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So she's saying because the word used in Section 3 is support and the word used in the presidential oath are preserve, protect, and defend, that that's how she's, she's uh, getting to that it, it doesn't apply to the, the president. Um, and I, I presume that's you're specifically taking issue with that. Yeah, we're, we're taking issue with that because we think the oath to preserve, protect, and defend uh, necessarily includes the oath to support. Um, but she also ruled that the president is not an officer of the United States. And we think that that was incorrect. And, and we're hopeful that we'll uh, prevail on appeal. All right. So as you point out, other than the most basic thing, right, which is remaining on the ballot. OK, so that's what this was ultimately all about. You lost on that. So you're appealing. But you did win on everything else. I mean, she came out and said that the First Amendment doesn't apply to his speech. She came out and said he incited an insurrection. She came out and said that he incited violence. I mean, it's all laid out in great detail. Uh, and on that front, I, I, you are aware of something that I'm not yet aware of, but you're saying that Trump's team is also appealing the ruling. Yeah. So about, I think about 20 minutes ago, they filed with the Colorado Supreme Court saying that they wanted to appeal 11 different issues from the trial court below and asking to increase the uh, word count that they get for the briefs uh, by twice as much as they would normally get. So we're appealing one very small legal issue. They're appealing uh, 11. Right. And when you say they want to uh, extend the word count because they want to put in very long briefs, I, I presume, about issues like insurrection? Uh, yeah, I presume so. Again, with 11 questions presented that they're asking for, I think they, they feel like they need some more space. Um, you know, we're not going to be asking for any more uh, word count. Uh, we've got one issue to appeal and we should be filing that tonight. How in the world do you have two sides appealing the same ruling at the same time? Is that an <laughs> unprecedented sort of a situation, Sean? Uh, no, you know, it's not that unusual uh, when two people think that there were some things that were wrong below. And I think probably Trump's team wants to make sure that they appeal a variety of issues so that if this ever goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, they can argue that the judge got some of those things wrong. But uh, I don't think she did, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll prevail in the Colorado Supreme Court. Well, you know, it's interesting, though, if they're doing this, it does show uh, that they perceive that the headlines that came out of this were were not ones that they want, right? That the judge said that he incited an insurrection in the conclusion. Uh, of course, it's different than what uh, Trump himself is saying. He was at a rally over the weekend, and of course, uh, he said something different. Let me just play it. So we've now beaten the radical left Democrats, election rigging, ballot qualification scam in Colorado and Michigan and Minnesota and New Hampshire and other states. Our opponents are showing every day that they hate democracy. They're trying every illegal move they can to try and steal this election. And of course, he's appealing the ruling that he is there uh, extolling, as you point out. Uh, you're saying 11, 11 points they want to appeal. But what do you say to him, his comments there? Um, you know, it's not surprising that he would take that position, um, but we're going to pursue our claims in court. I think we put on a very good case. The judge issued a very 
detailed and thorough opinion. It took until page 95 of a 102 page opinion for her rule against us on anything. So we're just going to continue forward. We're going to go to the Colorado Supreme Court and see what happens there. Yep, you're right. It was about page 95 and 92 was uh, was the insurrection. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you for your time. I know you're going to be filing that uh, shortly. So thanks. Thank you very much. All right. And next, Rosalind Carter helped transform the job of First Lady. Maria Shriver, the former First Lady herself, and no stranger to politics, of course, as a member of the Kennedy family, is out front next. She'll remember her friend. And Microsoft shares soar to an all-time high. All-time high for a massive company because of just one guy that came in and hired that just fired AI guru Sam Altman. The story behind the Microsoft coup and Altman's former employees now threatening mutiny ahead. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, the many lives touched by the former First Lady Rosalind Carter, among them the former California First Lady, author, journalist, and healthcare advocate Maria Shriver, uh, who you see there greeting uh, Mrs. Carter. They formed a friendship as they worked together to support caregivers who are looking after sick loved ones. And Maria Shriver is out front now. And Maria, I really appreciate your time. I just wanted to ask you, because you did get to know her in such a specific capacity, what was it like getting to know Rosalind Carter? Well, she was an incredible woman, I think, far ahead in so many ways, uh, an equal partner, as the former president said just yesterday, in every way. I think she was out in front on mental health, out in front on caregiving. And since my uncle had run against uh, President Carter, I was nervous to work with her and nervous that she might be, you know, hold the grudge, so to speak. (laughs) And she was gracious. She was elegant. um, She never really brought it up. And my dad had run against Carter uh, in 76, and then my uncle ran against him in 80. And yet she was very professional. She was like, look at, we work on the same issues. Let's work together. You can help me. I can help you. And let's focus on that and never even brought up either (laughs) man. So uh, I was like, okay, great, let's go. And um, so I, I was a big admirer of hers. And I think that the outpouring, I think yesterday shows how many people were touched by her work her style, I think, her elegance, uh, the love story, clearly. But she was a formidable woman in her own right. And, and you know, what's interesting is your your father, of course, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and you helped care for him. You became a vocal advocate for Alzheimer's uh, patients as well as their caretakers. And Rosalind also cared for her father when he was dying, and she was a child at the time. But when she finally, you know, Mm -hmm. had the power and the ability, she created an institute dedicated to caretakers you know, millions and millions of Americans Correct. going through the the, the the pain and the anguish and the love, all of the things that that entails. What did she accomplish with her work? Well, I think she elevated that um, that issue 
and it still needs to be elevated. Uh, there's so many millions of Americans who do this work round the clock, in addition to working full time, in addition to parenting, in addition to partnering, and they're looking for help, right? And she always had this quote, I think, that you're either going to be a caregiver or be cared by a caregiver in your lifetime. So all of us should be invested in this issue, learn about this issue, honor this issue, value this work, which is often so low paid, is often done in the darkness, and yeah. people don't come face to face with it until they come face to face with it. So I think she had this idea of also a caregiver's office in the federal government that never was realized. But I think she wanted to elevate this work, this kind of work that I always call work that is on the front lines of humanity that so many people do. They change their lives to care for people that they love. And I think she wanted to honor that work and elevate it. So a few days ago, you were in Washington with the First Lady Jill Biden. President Biden was signing an initiative on federal funding for into women's health. Now, Jill Biden has made this a core yeah. issue for, for herself. And in part, I think it's fair to say because of Rosalind Carter, because she changed the role of First Lady. I mean, now it's, it's almost like you even don't even want to say the words First Lady. I mean, you know, we've now got a first gentleman and the VP level. But, but right, First Lady still at the presidential level is what it has always been. She worked tirelessly on mental health reform. Uh, she chaired the President's Commission on mm -hmm. Mental Health. I'm talking about, of course, Mrs. Carter. She was the first to establish a First Lady's press office, the first to represent the U.S. on a diplomatic trip yeah. overseas. She even went to cabinet meetings, right? I mean, this was all so different. And at one point, reflecting right. back in the early 1990s, I think it was, Maria, she said this. I think the role of women has, has changed. And, and, and as the role of women has changed, the role of the First Lady has changed. And I don't think we'll ever go back to have a first lady who just um, entertains and pours tea. And um, she's been right so far. Um, but, you know, the thing, Maria, yeah, she's right about that. <laughs> I mean, you've experienced this yourself as first lady of California. You completely changed that role and how you lived your life and your own life, your yeah. own career. So what impact did Rosalind Carter have on the whole concept and here I'll use different words, of being a presidential spouse. Well, I think she, you know, for everybody, there are 50-some, or I don't know how many first ladies there are throughout the country, and that obviously there's one uh, at the federal government. But it's a formidable role. You can do a lot as yeah. a first lady. And I think anybody who steps into that role should look at uh, a Rosalind Carter and to see what she did with that role. You can make it your own. You can decide, oh, I don't want to do much at all with it. But if you step into it, it, there's tremendous power in it. You can use it almost like a startup. You can be an entrepreneur with it. Hmm. You can be creative with it. You can create incredible change with it. And I think she wanted to show women uh, that they were formidable, that they were smart, that they could be equal partners. The idea of a woman being an equal partner was very new, right? And is still people are like, whoa, when women are equal partners. And I think that I looked to her uh, as a model for somebody who took the job seriously. When I stepped into the First Lady of California, I gave up my journalism job and I was like, what is this job? I don't want to pour tea either. I want to make it something that matters. I want it to help change people's lives. And you can do that in the role. Um, and so I think that many times people don't know what a First Lady does and it changes obviously by who's ever in that office. 
But that office has tremendous power, and those people have tremendous power to make a difference in our country. All right. Well, Maria, thank you very much. I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, Aaron. All right. And next, the artificial intelligence world rocked tonight as Microsoft wastes no time hiring the man at the forefront of the technology. Who is Sam Altman? Special report is next. And the White House with a powerful message for Elon Musk tonight. But is it enough? Tonight, open revolt at OpenAI. Nearly every employee is threatening a mutiny. This after the board of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, fired its co-founder and CEO, Sam Altman. Just 60 hours later, even as the tech world thought Altman would get his old job back, and certainly he could do anything he wanted in the world, all the money would have been there for him, he accepts a job at Microsoft. Tom Foreman is out front. OpenAI is the most advanced and the most widely used AI platform in the world now. That's Sam Altman, co-founder of OpenAI, earlier this year, talking up the company's success and praising his checks and balances. No one person should be trusted here. I don't have super voting shares. Um, like, I don't want them. The board can fire me. I think that's important. But this is him now after being fired, waving a company visitor badge and posting, first and last time I ever wear one of these. OpenAI rolled out ChatGPT only a year ago, a dazzling artificial intelligence platform capable of human-like writing, calculations, coding. Altman, who launched the project with Elon Musk, was the quirky genius behind the curtain. Silicon Valley has got to be one of the most accepting places in the world for failure. He learned to code at the age of eight, dropped into and out of Stanford, dove into the computer startup business, became fabulously wealthy and a little cagey. I prep for survival, he told The New Yorker in 2016. I have guns, gold, antibiotics, batteries, water, and a big patch of land in Big Sur I can fly to. We're here because people love this technology. We think it can be a printing press moment. But even as he ballyhooed chat GPT, he acknowledged concern about how it might twist information, take jobs, take charge. My worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. Sources told a CNN contributor tensions erupted with the OpenAI board over how aggressively the technology should advance. A company officer says no, Altman was not consistently candid, and that interfered with the board's oversight. Whatever the reason, here comes Microsoft. We love you guys. <laughs> you guys have built something magical. Two weeks ago, Microsoft CEO was raving about his company's $13 billion investment in OpenAI. Now the tech giant says Altman and another co-founder will be joining Microsoft to lead a new advanced AI research team. And potentially taking with him hundreds of employees from OpenAI. It's true. More than 500 OpenAI employees have signed a letter saying we are unable to work for or with people that lack competence, judgment, and care. Microsoft has assured us that there are positions for all OpenAI employees. Of course, CNN is reaching out to all the major players here to see if they have anything else to say. But no matter what they do say, Aaron, this is astonishing. This company that last November shook up the world, is now itself being badly rattled. Aaron? The whole thing is an unbelievable saga. Tom Something Foreman, else. thank you very much. You're and next, the White House sending a message to Elon Musk. 
after his embrace of an anti-Semitic tweet. But is it enough? Tonight, the White House sending a signal to Elon Musk, but so far, it lacks a lot of teeth. The White House joining the social media platform Threads, which is a competitor to X, formerly known as Twitter, of course owned by Musk. Well, the president himself announcing the move and directing people to go to Threads. We're live, folks. Well, the White House will keep its X account, but the reason for this small move is something significant. Musk explicitly endorsed an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on his platform, and others have taken a strong stance. Major advertisers, including Apple, Disney, and CNN's parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery, have pulled spots from the platform. Public outrage has prompted big names to abandon both Musk and X. The White House's decision to join Threads gives the Mark Zuckerberg-controlled platform added credibility. Accounts for the president, first lady, vice president, second gentleman have also all been created on Threads. We will have a special report tomorrow on the U.S. government's relationship with Elon Musk and his companies. Like the Pentagon's $70 million deal with SpaceX for StarShield, which is a communication system based on the Starlink system of satellites that's been so crucial in Ukraine. So should the administration be putting their money where their mouth is? That's a special report coming up tomorrow. That's it for this episode of Aaron Burnett Out Front. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio, or of course, in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.